0: If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: We wanted to see how we could take these experiences of being playful, being collaborative, and engaging with art, science, and technology, and do those in a wide variety of settings. I wanted to provide the opportunity for people to virtually get to travel around the world.
0: How would you like to take online hands-on workshops with creatives in five different countries? That's just one of the opportunities which Wonderful Idea Company co-founder and managing director Ryan Jenkins is making available. Los Angeles-based Wonderful Idea Company is a creative design studio which explores art, science, and technology through making and tinkering. In spring of 2021, Wonderful Idea Company launched their Tinkering World Tour, where they took participants around the world virtually with stops in five different destinations for hands-on projects with artists and inventors using everyday household materials. Now, Wonderful Idea Company is launching season two of their Tinkering World Tour. It starts September, 2021, and you're invited. Ryan, on your website, you say that play is a normal human technique for finding out about the world around us. How did you and your creative journey first discover this?
1: Well, thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me here. And I think for me, it started When I was working at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, that was my first job out of university. And actually, I graduated without taking a single science course in all four years of school. And once I started working at the Exploratorium, I realized that art and science were things that you could test out, experiment, play with. And these were ways of understanding the world. And I think in my mind, I always had this idea that if you were an artist, you made art. If you were a scientist, you did science. And I think through having encounters with people who blurred the boundaries between the disciplines, I learned that artists and scientists were just people who made close observations, tried experiments, and played around with their ideas.
0: What was one of your first encounters that brought this home for you, where you met a science person who was an artist or an arts person who also used science to be the artist? Well,
1: one experience that I can really remember was I was lucky enough to have a training with Bob Miller, who was one of the founding artists at the museum. And he had a experience that he led people on called a light walk. And the idea was that you went around any street, any outdoor environment, and you started noticing the ways that the sun casted images onto the ground, onto the walls. He had some teaching tools, you know, he had some boards with holes in it or small bars that you could use to see the pinholes and see the reflections and see the shadows. But really for me, it was just this hour long experience of seeing something that I had. I mean, we are always surrounded by light and shadow. And it was almost like taking away a curtain and really seeing those things for the first time. And I think since that moment, you know, every time I'm by a huge tree where the light is shining through the leaves, you know, I take an extra minute to look at the way the sun is casting these perfect circle shadows and light on the ground. And it, you know, it's just something you never noticed before. But then when someone points it out to you, you can't stop
0: looking at it. And you, in fact, are doing some extremely cool stuff with the sun and light and shadow. Yes the Wonderful Idea Company, which we'll be talking about, but I'd love for you to share with me first the story of how you came to create the Wonderful Idea Company.
1: Sure. So I was, like I said, at the Exploratorium in San Francisco for about 10 years. I worked with a team there to develop a space called the Tinkering Studio, where we invited families, kids, adults to slow down, engage with materials, Build with their hands and explore their own creative ideas. My work at Wonderful Idea Company has come directly out of those experiments. And for me and my co founder, Nicole Cotrette, we wanted to see how we could take these experiences of being playful being collaborative and engaging with art, science, and technology, and do those in a wide variety of settings. So since we've started Wonderful Idea Company, we've worked in libraries, we've worked in more traditional art museums, we've had the chance to travel around the world and work with Tibetan Buddhist monks in India or high school students in Saudi Arabia. And yeah, so really for us, starting this company was a chance to develop our own ideas, be very experimental, and share those projects with other people in the world on our own terms and our own
0: platforms. How much fun does that (laughs) sound? You did something earlier this year when you talked about going around the world that sounds like an absolute blast. The Tinkering World Tour Online just about to have Chapter Two happening. Would you tell me how that came about for you, please?
1: Yes. Well, I think a lot of it came about from my trips around the world. Luckily, in my work, I've had the chance to work with museums and schools in many countries, many states in the U.S. And I think every time that I'm traveling, I'm always looking for kind of that quirky museum, the collection that someone has. I don't know. I'm thinking of someone in New Mexico who built Tinkertown, which is this like, I don't know, just a huge art project that someone worked on for 40 years and it became a art installation. And so since having those experiences, I've really come to believe that all over the world, there are artists, makers, tinkerers, educators who are pushing the boundaries of these subjects, who are really working with materials, who are creating amazing projects. And so part of the idea with the online Tinkering World Tour Workshop was just that during the pandemic, we've all been stuck at home, we've been at lockdown, we've been at quarantine. So I wanted to provide the opportunity for people to virtually get to travel around the world and have a bit of that experience connecting with other makers and tinkerers.
0: Take me on that in your imagination. What was one of your absolute favorite moments creatively from that particular tinkering online world tour?
1: Well, it actually started... The first presenter we had really set the tone for the workshop. We had our first session was in Nairobi, Kenya, and we had two educators, Franco and Jennifer, who work for an organization called Cheza Cheza, and they are a dance organization. So they work with young students and teach dance, teach hip hop dancing. And they led us in a, you know, a quick dance lesson, but then they talked about the qualities of the experience that they are trying to convey when they work with with youth through dance. And it was the exact same approach that we take to art and science. They were all about giving the students agency. Allowing them to feel confident about themselves, allowing to feel like they have a place that they can mentor and teach others. And so for me, it was right at the beginning, really eye-opening to see that while maybe it's more familiar to tinker with electronics or physics or computers, you can also tinker with music and dance and expression and storytelling. and. It matters a lot less what the topic is than the approach you take as an educator or a workshop leader.
0: I'm getting that this is all about discovery. It's all about listening and engaging is what I'm hearing from you.
1: I think it really is about a community. And I mean, I was amazed. Some people, I would find something they were doing on Twitter. There was a a street artist who built a kind of computerized plotter system to make these Kind of digital murals in Berlin. And I think two days before the workshop, I saw his work on Twitter. I messaged him, said, would you want to come and join us and tell us a little bit about what you were doing? And he said, yeah, sure. That sounds like fun. And to me, really, it's about that community and sharing and that spirit of collaboration that really made it special.
0: I'd love to add that when I looked at your videos, You have one presenter who can't be 12 years old. You have another who's an older woman. You don't have any one kind of person. You've got a wide range of artists, which I think is fantastic. I love this. Now, what about chapter two? What's going to be happening this September?
1: Well, I don't want to reveal too much, but we have a new set of cities and regions that we're going to be visiting I'm especially excited, well, I'm excited about all five of them. We're visiting Mexicali, Mexico, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Reggio Emilia in Italy, Kathmandu in Nepal, and Singapore. Some of those places, I think three of those places I've actually been to in person, Emilia Romana, Kathmandu, and Singapore. I've never been to Mexicali or Sao Paulo, so I'm really interested to get a another diverse group of makers and tinkerers to share what they're working on. In the last session, we talked a lot about how people responded in the time of the pandemic. So now I'm also interested to see how those changes that people made to their educational programs, what things they're keeping, what things they can't wait to get back to working on in person, I'm really excited to see both in these places and in this moment, what these artists, makers, and tinkerers are thinking about and interested in.
0: This is going to inspire a lot of people. How does anyone listening right now find out more about getting involved if they'd like to? Yeah,
1: so you can check out our website, which is wonderfulidea.co, and we have links to all of our workshops. For this one, we're running an Indiegogo campaign so we're doing a crowdfunding for the workshop and we have two ways to join you can either join live over Zoom where you're taking part in the workshop dancing along with us asking questions participating in the conversation but as well we realized that at this time people's schedules are tricky and we don't always have enough time to join these sessions so we also are offering a way to join asynchronously or MOOC style so you can sign up and get the recordings every week, have the prompts so you can participate in the projects and the questions. Last time we had about 20 people join live and about a hundred people join asynchronously. And we're hoping to have even more connect with us this time.
0: Since this is going to be a maker and tinkerer workshop, What kinds of materials do people need to have on hand when they start either asynchronously or live?
1: Yeah, so this has been a challenge or a challenge and opportunity for us during the pandemic, trying to figure out how to tinker at home over Zoom. For this workshop, everything that you need is things that you already have around the house. So we've been working with recycled materials, with cardboard. Some of the projects we've been doing just have been using pencil and paper. We've been using some digital tools like Scratch programming language, which is something that you can just use in your web browser. So we're trying to make it as open and accessible for people to join as possible. So you don't need to have any special equipment, just a computer, a camera,
0: and a curious and playful attitude to take part. And in case anybody's thought, oh no, programming. Scratch is a pretty simple language, wouldn't you agree? Kind of like stacking blocks in your computer. Exactly. I mean, and I think for me,
1: programming and computers also are something new and something that I'm learning a lot about. And so we're always trying to find the ways that there can be what we call a low threshold. So there's an easy way to get started. So in our workshops, we usually will work with A visual programming language like Scratch so that everyone can feel comfortable building a project, making an animation, making something that's personally meaningful to them. And then if they're interested later on, they can go deeper and learn about other more complicated programming languages.
0: When you mentioned going deeper, having told me that you really didn't have one science class while you were in school, you got to learn what science meant as relates to the arts what are some of the go-to resources that you wouldn't be without when you make something like, for example, a circuit with light up centers in the daisies, or you make something like your light box?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think for me, (laughs) probably, well, I have a few different tools. One would be instructables. So a lot of the projects that I'm working on, I will look at Instructables, which is a website that has guides to kind of step-by-step guides for all kinds of different projects. Also YouTube videos, there's a few other ones, but I think a lot of times these ideas don't start from, from thin air, from nowhere. I think a lot of times it's seeing a project that another maker or artist worked on, seeing how that worked, and then trying to build and remix that project. I really love a lot of the guides that are on Adafruit and SparkFun, which are two websites that sell electronics, but they also have a lot of starting resources for people to to go with electronics and projects like that. And then, I don't know, for me, I'm a really big social media user and Twitter user, and I don't like to post just the final projects. I like to post the works in progress or the moments where I'm stuck or the half-baked ideas that aren't going right. And I found that that's been probably the best resource is to post something and say, hey, I'm working on this project and it's not working. Here's a video. Does anyone in my community of practice have some ideas or have some projects they want to share? And through that, I've been connected to a lot of generous people in the making community that have helped me learn a bit more about some of these subjects that I didn't have formal training about.
0: That has to be a lot more fun, too, than just trying to figure <laughs> it out and tinker with it and say, how do I do this? When you referenced Instructables, there are a couple of solar-powered projects you've posted that I'd love to have you tell me a little bit more about, particularly the one with the scrap bot, the kind of mean-looking <laughs> grasshopper. Would you <laughs> tell me about what this does? Yes. Oh, you've got Um, it behind you. I think I have it
1: behind me. So, yeah, so I've been working on, well, several projects lately that have tried to address a bit of sustainability or having an eco-friendly approach to tinkering projects. I think that this is important for many reasons. I think it's really important that as we're developing making a tinkering projects, we're Also thinking about the environmental impact. So we're thinking about the materials we're using, how much waste we're creating, what sort of, what's the manufacturing process and some of these tools and materials we're using. And then as well, I think it's really important that we develop some activities that start to engage young people or or adults in the process of investigating solar power wind energy, different sort of light and shadow. One of my colleagues was just working on kind of a light mirror project to power solar panels. And because I think that a tinkering spirit is really required to solve these big challenges that we have in regards to climate change and in regards to alternative energy. I think that a tinkering approach, which means that We are figuring out the answers as we are learning them is the way that we are going to develop new technologies and new ways of of being in society. So I think that for me, I'm really interested in developing projects that allow people to feel comfortable to test out and play around with these materials. So recently I've had the chance to collaborate with a university in Switzerland, ETH Zurich. And we developed some solar powered robots that were inspired by insects and plants. So these are robots that are powered by the sun. They have some sort of rules that either move them towards the light or have them activate when they're in the sunlight, and then store energy when they're not getting power. And so this is, again, for me, just a first prototype about how we can develop more tinkering activities that allow people to meaningfully engage with these new technologies and these new tools.
0: Where would you like to go from there with the robots, which that's really cool and really (laughs) fun, but what if suddenly you were in charge of handling solar power? And you had to diminish the carbon footprint we're making. We had to make a change so we won't have climate change to the degree we have it now. How much further would you take it? What would you do? Well, I think,
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm definitely not an expert on that level. But I mean, I think from the educational side, I think having more connections to what is going on in the real world is really important. I mean, I... I'm a believer and my career is based on this idea of playful explorations as a way to learn so that students or adults can learn about sustainability and solar panel by getting hands-on, soldering connections, testing out their robots But I think that tinkering is not the only way to learn and it works better in a larger ecosystem of learning environments. So I think that I would like to take this further by combining these hands-on open-ended projects with, I don't know, tours of solar power plants, chances to meet with and talk to experts in the industry, have a chance to test out and try brand new materials. One of my former colleagues at the Exploratorium moved on to working with large kites that generate electricity. And she would bring some of these artifacts to the Maker Fair to inspire people about what's possible with alternative energy. So for me, it's really about creating a many different ways to engage with these subjects. And I think the more chances that people have to feel connected, feel comfortable, feel that they're a part of these things, I think that they will have more confidence to, to make a change in the world.
0: Before we leave the subject of sustainability in making and tinkering, you mentioned manufacturing. What are some of the products, maybe without doing a commercial or anything for them, but what are some of the products that are manufactured in a way that you like, that is sustainable?
1: Well, I have to give a shout out to some of my colleagues who are working down in San Jose at the Tech Museum, Corinne Takara, and then there are actually some high school students called the GIY BioBuddies, and I just recently did a presentation with them And they've been working with all kinds of natural materials as the building blocks, if you will, of tinkering projects. So they're working with mushroom, mycelium material. They're working with kombucha leather. They're working with all kinds of materials that you grow as the starting points to the activities. And again, I feel like these are things that designers and scientists and engineers are working with on a high level. I think I'm sure there are research and development laboratories all around the world where scientists and researchers are developing new materials that are disposable, that are stable, that are healthy for the environment. And I'd like to have more opportunities for non-experts, for students, for beginners to work with these things and start to feel comfortable because I think a lot of great ideas can be generated through these types of
0: explorations. That comes right back to what you were saying before about thinking science was here, art was there. <laughs> and if you have somebody who isn't an expert and is exploring and playing, your life to wind up with some new exciting ideas. We haven't said a word yet about your other workshop you're going to be doing, the Automata Workshop. Would you also tell me about this one? Yeah. And
1: and I mean, I think it's related. I mean, I think you're starting to see this thread that's going through all of the workshops for Wonderful Idea Co. Our global Automata workshops, I've been collaborating with a group from the UK called Cabaret Mechanical Theatre. And this is a collection of artists that have been around probably for 30 or 40 years. They make amazing, mostly wooden, hand-cranked toys. So when you turn the crank, there's an entire scene and a world that comes alive. And these can be, you know, a mermaid on the beach. It could be someone in a, a butcher shop. There's... All kinds of different stories that come up with these machines. And so we're developing a online workshop series. It takes place over six weeks where anyone can join us to have the experience to try to make their own automata. So with this workshop, we start with some simple materials, with cardboard boxes, with wood and wire. We actually developed a laser cut kit of parts so you can start building some more complex mechanisms. And from those starting experiments, we support the learners to develop their own projects. So adding in electronics, changing the scale. One of our workshop participants, not in the six weeks, but After the six weeks continuing on, she made a probably six foot tall automata with three layers that actually was displayed in a local gallery. So I think it's all about getting started, working with motion and mechanism, and then growing your ideas after you have this hands-on practice. What was her six foot tall automata? She made a... It was with birds and i think it was modeled after a local cathedral and again i mean with all of these projects it really comes down to people following their own interests so i think that we all start in a similar place so we start with these what we call low threshold beginning activities but then by introducing more and more materials and tools and by showing other artists and other possibilities, people develop their own ideas. And so a really fun thing about this Tinkering with Automata workshop is I have no idea at the end of the six weeks what types of projects people will make. And so I'm amazed by, I don't know, People finding driftwood on the beach out of their house and turning that into a machine or creating a creating a contraption that is a self-portrait of them during the pandemic period. So I think with all of these projects, it's really fun to see the ways that people's own ideas can grow and that they can take those further and further as they get more experience.
0: Where can people find out more about your automata workshop? So our website is
1: cabaret.co.uk, or you can search for Cabaret Mechanical Theater online. And we're doing another one in the fall, which is kind of the automata 101, the basics of building these crank-powered kinetic sculptures. And then we're also working on a second round where we incorporate programming, microcontrollers, LED lights, motors, kind of the advanced version, let's say, of some of these projects, but still with a a playful and open-ended spirit. This is going to be such a blast.
0: (laughs) The one thing I do notice is that this does seem a little bit higher priced for teachers, but you have some limited scholarships. I thought we might want to mention that.
1: Yeah, I think the difference, I mean, again, we're all trying to figure out how these projects work online. I think the main difference with the price is that that one comes with a kit of parts. So you get everything you need to build the automata, you get the wood, the laser cut parts, you get the book that's all about automata, and as well, it's a little bit more personalized. We have a group of facilitators that I've been working with, so you can have some more attention towards your projects. But yeah, of course, with all of these, we are trying to make them as open and accessible for educators, for teachers as possible. So if you're interested, just reach out and we can figure out a solution.
0: Personally, if I were a teacher, I would go to my principal and say, please, could you fund this? Because it looks amazing. And for updates? I think the place that people can find
1: All of the latest information is on our blog. I'm trying as hard as I can, not only on social media, but also on our website and our blog to post the half-baked ideas, the things that are in progress. And like I said earlier, I learned so much from other people passing along their experience, their questions, their ideas. So I would just encourage anyone who's listening this to check out our website send me a message and get involved in the conversation about these projects.
0: You mentioned on your blog at one point that there are people that say, oh, this won't work, discovering by playing, and then they have an epiphany. What was one of your absolute favorite experiences with someone like that who had a hands-on epiphany and realized that perhaps playful exploration does work with learning?
1: So, yeah, there's many. I mean, I think this is a, a common question in schools and in museums and all kinds of educational settings, this, it looks like fun, but are they really learning? And I think for sure, it takes participating in the activity to really get a sense of what it's like. One example that comes to mind is we have a workshop called Marble Machines, where There's a pegboard wall and then a bunch of equipment that you can buy at the hardware store. And the idea is to make a marble travel down the wall as slowly as possible. And we had this exhibit at the Exploratorium. We've worked with it in a lot of different settings. And we had an exhibit designer who was always trying to clean up the mess that was Ah. generated with this activity. So was always trying to develop like a, trough on the bottom of the table or buckets to put away the materials or slides where, you know, the material. So it could look like a clean and accessible learning environment. And she participated in one of our workshops. And as she was building her own marble machine, she looked around and noticed that what she originally saw from the outside as a mess around the builders actually was really important to her learning process. So these parts that were around her were either the things that she tried that didn't work, or they were the parts that she wanted to use for the next step. It was a materials library, and it was a ideas library that was on the ground around her. And so I think some of these things that maybe from the outside you come into and say, oh, this looks too loud, this looks too chaotic, this looks too messy. When you're actually involved in the process, you see that those things are not distracting from the learning, but they actually are supporting the learning because you are grabbing materials, talking to your friends, laughing about the things that worked. Pointing out and also laughing about the things that don't work. And so I think that that's one of the things that I've been trying in all of my work is to involve educators in these process and get them to experience the activity as a learner, because then they can really see what their students go through in these tinkering activities.
0: I laughed when you said clean up the mess because I really saw that more as a block to creating and discovering than to learning how to do something. I'm glad you came to realize what that was. What's next after October for the wonderful idea company? What can people really look forward to with you?
1: Well, I hope that more and more we can do in-person workshops again. I actually, this last weekend, I don't know if I mentioned, I'm here, I'm living in Germany now and This last weekend, I had my first in-person workshop since the pandemic started in a science center in Heilbronn, and we were working on cardboard kaleidoscopes. And it was so fun to go out into, well, it wasn't nature, but it was the garden and see plants and flowers and patterns out of kaleidoscopes and move around and share with each other and shout and bring each other over. So I'm really looking forward to more in-person workshops and kind of getting back to those plans. I think, like I said earlier, I'm really interested in developing more sustainable, eco-friendly tinkering projects. So I would love to have pop-up events here where we could play with solar power. We could play with wind power. We can experiment with water in the environment. So I'm really curious about how to connect tinkering to our environments and build a bit of a excitement and understanding about exploring and investigating that phenomenon.
0: And finally if people can only get one thing from you and from the wonderful idea company about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you really like them to take away from you?
1: I think that for me, the most important thing is that these topics, you can try them without having a lot of formal knowledge or formal expertise. I think that you can learn about Creativity, innovation, engineering, technology, science, just by getting your hands on the materials, gathering a group of people together to work and collaborate, and to start to play with these phenomena, whether it's light and shadow, motion and mechanism, computer programming. I think that you can develop a real understanding of these topics by getting hands-on, building things, and following your own ideas and your
0: own path. Ryan, thank you for your time today. Thanks so much. It's been
1: really fun to talk about these projects, and I hope that people can join some of our future workshops.
0: You and I have been listening to Ryan Jenkins, educator, tinkerer, co-founder, and managing director of Wonderful Idea Company. Find out more about a Tinkering World Tour season two, on Indiegogo, or by going to wonderfulidea.co. That's wonderfulidea.co, where you'll find links to all of their workshops. And if you'd like to know more about their global automata workshops, also get a look at cabaret.co.uk. That's cabaret.co.uk. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.